0: Chapter 18 of Howarth's This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michelle Eaton. Howarth's by Francis Hodgson Burnett. Chapter 18. Howarth and Co. The next day, when he descended from his gig at the gates, instead of going to his office, Howarth went to the engine room. Leave your work a bit and come into my place, he said to Murdoch. I want you. His tone was off hand but not ill humoured. There was a hint of embarrassment in it. Murdoch followed him without any words. Having led the way into his office, Howard shut the door and faced him. Can they guess what I want? he demanded. No, Murdoch answered. Well it's easy told. You said I'd be cooler today, and I am. A night gives a man time to face a thing straight. I'd been making a fool of myself before you came up, but I made a bigger fool of myself afterward. There's the end on it. I suppose, said Murdoch, that it was natural enough you should look at the thing differently just then. Perhaps I made a fool of myself too. You, said Howarth roughly, you were cool you Later French came in and spent an hour with him, and after his departure Howarth made the rounds of the place in one of the worst of his moods. Ay said Floxham to his companion, "'that's all at throad when he shows issen." The same day, Janie Briley presented herself to Mr. French's housekeeper, with a message from her mother. Having delivered the message, she was on her way from the housekeeper's room, when Miss French, who sat in the drawing-room, spoke through the open door to the servant. "'If that is the child,' she said, "'bring her here to me.' Janie entered the great room, awe-stricken and overpowered by its grandeur. Miss French, who sat near the fire, addressed her, turning her head over her shoulder. "'Come here,' she commanded. Janie advanced with something approaching tremor. Miss French was awe-inspiring anywhere, but Miss French, amid the marvels of her own drawing-room, leaning back in her chair, and regarding her confusion with a suggestion of friendly notice, was terrible.' Sit down, she said, and talk to me. But here the practical mind rebelled and asserted itself in spite of abasement of spirit. I haven't gotten out to talk about, said Janie stoutly. What man I say? Anything you like, responded Miss French. I am not particular. There's a chair. Janie seated herself in it. It was a large one in which her small form was lost. Her parcel was a big one but Miss French did not tell her to put it down, so she held it on her knee, and was almost hidden behind it, presenting somewhat the appearance of a huge newspaper package, clasped by arms and surmounted by a small sharp face, and an immense bonnet, with a curious appendage of short legs and big shoes. I do not see, the girl was saying mentally, and with some distaste for her position, what she wants with me but as she stared over the top of her parcel, she gradually softened. The child found Miss French well worth looking at. "'Ee,' she announced with admiring candour, "'Ee, but thou art handsome.' "'Am I?' said Rachel French. "'Thank you.' "'Aye,' answered Janey. "'Thou art. I never seed no lady like thee before. "'Let alone a young woman. "'I've said so many a time to Mr. Murdoch.' "'Have you?' Ay, I'm allers talking to him about thee.' "'That's kind,' said Rachel French. "'I dare say he enjoys it.' "'Who is he?' "'Him?' exclaimed Janey. Does thou know him? "'Him as was at our house the day you come in the first time. "'Him as dragged thee out the engine.' "'Oh,' said Miss French, "'the engineer.' Ay, in a tone of some discomfiture. "'He's an engineer.' but he is now the common working sort. Granny Dixon says he's getting gentlefolk's ways. I should think, remarked Miss French, that Mrs. Dixon knew. Aye, she's used to gentlefolk. They've taken notice on her, her young days. She knowed thy grandfather. She gave me to understand as much, responded Miss French, smiling at the recollection this brought to her mind. You see, mother and me thinks a deal o' Mr. Murdoch, because he is nay one o' the drinking sort, proceeded Janey, He's steady kind, and he's fond o' books, and the like. He does nae make much of his trade, but he knows more than you'd think for, to look at him. That is good news, said Miss French cheerfully. Janey rested her chin upon her parcel, warming to the subject. I should nae wonder if he getting to be a rich man some o' these days, she went on, he's getting the makings on it in him. If he has luck, and looks sharp about him, I often tell him he mun look sharp. She became so communicative, indeed, that Miss French found herself well entertained. She heard the details of Howarth's history, the reports of his prosperity and growing wealth, the comments his hands had made upon herself, and much interesting news concerning the religious condition of Broxton and the chapel. It was growing dusk when the interview ended, and when she went away, Janey carried an additional bundle. Does that dress dressy this road? She had asked her hostess, and the question suggested to Miss French a whimsical idea. She took the child upstairs and gave her maid orders to produce all the cast-off finery she could find, and then stood by and looked on as Janey made her choice. She stood there laughing while I picked things out," said Janey afterwards. "'I do know what she were laughing at. "'You never know what she's making game on you or not.' "'I do not see as they were out to laugh at,' said Mrs. Briley indignantly. "'Nay,' said Janey. "'nor me neither. "'But she does na laugh when there's out to laugh at. "'That's the queer part of it. "'She said, as I could have more things when I come again. "'I would not go if it were nay for that.' "'Even his hands found out at this time that Howarth was ill at ease.' His worst side showed himself in his intercourse with them. He was overbearing and difficult to please. He found fault and lost temper over trifles, and showed a restless, angry desire to assert himself. "'I'll show you who's master here, my lads,' he would say. "'I'll have no dodges. It's Howarth that's the head of this concern. Whoever comes in or out, this is Howarth's. Clap that in your pipes and smoke it.' "Summits up,' said Flockham.' Summets up, mark you that. Murdoch looked on with no inconsiderable anxiety. The intercourse between himself and Howarth had been broken in upon. It had received its first check months before, and in these days neither was in the exact mood for a renewal of it. Howarth wore a forbidding air. His rough good-fellowship was a thing of the past. He made no more boisterous jokes, no more loud boasts, at times his silence was almost morose. He was not over civil even to French, who came oftener than ever, and whose manner was cheerful to buoyancy. Matters had remained in this condition for a couple of months when, on his way home late one night, Murdoch's attention was arrested by a light burning in the room used by the master of the works as his office. He stopped in the road to look up at it. He could scarcely at first believe the evidence of his senses. The place had been closed and locked hours before, when Howarth had left it with French, with whom he was to dine. It was nearly midnight, and certainly an unlawful hour for such a light to show itself, but there it burned steadily amid the darkness of the night. It doesn't seem likely that those who had reason to conceal themselves would set a light blazing, Murdoch thought, but if there's mischief at work there's no time to waste. There was only one thing to do, and he did it, making the best of his way to the spot. The gate was thrown open, and the door of entrance yielded to his hand. Inside the darkness was profound. But when he found the passage leading to Howarth's room, he saw that the door was ajar and that the light still burned. On reaching this door he stopped short. There was no need to go in. It was Howarth himself who was in the room. Haworth who lay with arms folded on the table, and his head resting upon them. Murdoch turned away, and as he did so, the man heard him for the first time. He lifted his head and looked round. Who's there? he demanded. There was no help for it. Murdoch pushed the door open and stood before him. Murdoch, he said, I saw the light and it brought me up. Howarth gave him a grudging look. Come in, he said. Do you want me? "'Murdoch asked. "'Aye,' he answered dully. "'I think I do.' "'Murdoch stood and looked at him. "'He did not sit down. "'A mysterious sense of embarrassment held him in check. "'What is wrong?' he asked in a lowered voice. "'He hardly knew it for his own.' "'Wrong?' echoed Howarth. "'Nought. "'I've been taking leave of the place, that's all.' "'You've been doing what?' said Murdoch. "'Taking leave of the place. "'I've given it up.' His visitor uttered a passionate ejaculation. You are mad, he said. Aye, bitterly mad enough. The next instant, a strange sound burst from him, a terrible sound, forced back at its birth. His struggle to suppress it shook him from head to foot. His hands clinched themselves as if they were a vice. Murdoch turned aside. When it was over and the man raised his face, he was trembling still and white with a kind of raging shame. Blast you, he cried. If there's ever aught in your face that minds me o' this, I'll, I'll kill you. This Murdoch did not answer at all. There was enough to say. You are going to share it with French, he said. Aye, with that fool. He's been at me from the start. Nought would do him, but he must have his try at it. Let him, he shall play second fiddle by the Lord Harry." He began plucking at some torn scraps of paper and did not let them rest while he spoke. I've been over at place from top to bottom, he said. I held out until tonight. Tonight I give in, and as soon as I left em, I came here. Ten minutes after it was done, I'd have undone it if I could. I'd have undone it, but it's done and there's an end on it. He threw the scraps of paper aside and clenched his hand speaking through his teeth. She's never given me a word to hang on, he said, and I've done it for her. I've give up what I worked for and boasted on, just to be brought nigher to her. She knows I've done it, she knows it, though she's never owned it by a look, and I'll make that enough. If you make your way with her, said Murdoch, you have earned all you won. Aye, was the grim answer, I've earned it and soon after the light in the window went out, and they parted outside, and went their separate ways in the dark. End of chapter 18